We want to welcome you to Christmas Eve at Upward, or as Matthew said, Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve at Upward. You're getting in early. We love this time of year. It's about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're so thankful. I need Jesus in my life every day. I am so thankful that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to become human flesh so that he could live in my place and die in my place and conquer death in my place and defeat the power of sin in my place. Aren't you thankful that Jesus became human? Aren't you thankful that that baby is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns over this earth and who will, if you invite him, live inside of your own heart. And he can do that tonight if you don't know him. This is an old, old story. It goes back about 2,000 years. But it is indeed the greatest story ever told, and it could be repeated for another 2,000 years and not lose its power. This story was told many, many years ago. Picture the scene. There's an old man. He's between about 70 and about 90 years old, and he's old and gray-haired. He's still full of life, and he's still full of love. Everywhere he goes, he tells people, love one another. He's kind of a dinosaur in his day, kind of a throwback to an era, the era that's gone by. But he's famous for this. He knew Jesus personally. Jesus has been uh, crucified and resurrected and ascended and gone back to heaven for somewhere about 60 or 70 years at this point. And this is one of the last surviving people who actually walked with this man named Jesus. And this man decides that he's going to sit down and write the final biography of Jesus. There have been three of them written already by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But this older man decides he's going to sit down and he's going to tell the story of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, from the perspective of the last surviving apostle. All the other apostles, all the rest of the 11 had already been martyred for their faith. They had given their lives for the cause of Christ. And John alone was left behind, and he decides he's going to sit down and write this biography, the book of John. He is uniquely qualified to do it because he knew Jesus personally. He walked with him. Imagine that if you had been one of the 12 who had the privilege of being Jesus' closest friend and for three years you could live with him and walk with him and eat with him and camp with him and sleep with him and minister with him and see his mighty miracles. John was especially close to Jesus. He went with Je Jesus took him everywhere. He went with Jesus to things that nobody else got to see. He was one of only three disciples that Jesus took in a room when he spoke to a dead little girl and raised her from the dead. Only Peter, James, and John got to witness that firsthand, and John tells the story. John was one of only three of the apostles, again, Peter, James, and John. You see, Jesus had an inner circle. He was one of only three that got to see Jesus revealed in his heavenly glory. We call it the transfiguration. They were with Jesus on a mountain, and his clothes began to shine with the glory of God. And John could say, truthfully, we beheld his glory. We saw him in his power as God. Of all the disciples and all the 12 apostles, John was the only one 
that stood by at his crucifixion, at his lowest moment. The others had run away, presumably in fear, and John alone was there with Jesus as Jesus hung and bled and died on his cross. And John was standing with Jesus' mother, Mary, comforting her as her precious son died for the sins of the world. In fact, Jesus looked down at John and said, John, that's now your mother. And he said, Mom, that is now your son. He said, John, I want you to take care of my mom after I'm gone. I tell you all that to tell you that John knew Jesus better than anybody else on earth. In fact, when he wrote his biography of Jesus, he called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. It's this John that sat down and wrote his gospel, and he started it in a highly unusual way. Matthew and Luke started with a genealogy of Jesus. They would give his family tree. Mark just jumps right into the story because Mark jumped right into every story and just started telling the story. John starts his gospel rather cryptically and rather in a more difficult way to understand. John starts his gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word. And I might think, wait a minute, if I didn't know any better, I would say, what does the Word mean? I thought you were going to talk about Jesus. But he says, in the beginning was the Word. Have you ever heard those three words anywhere else in the Bible? Maybe at the very start of the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, it says in English, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And John begins his gospel of Jesus with those same three words saying, in the beginning Because John wanted to link his friend, Jesus Christ, with the God who was and is to to come, the God from the beginning. Someone has said that John linked Jesus to the cosmos. And that is so amazing to me because he knew Jesus in minute detail. He knew Jesus' favorite food. I'm going to ask him one day, what did Jesus like to eat? He knew how Jesus acted and how Jesus lived. He knew him personally, but this same guy, after seeing what he saw, declared, this guy, this man is not just a man. He is the God of the very beginning. This man is creator God. It's incredible. In the beginning, was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He goes on to say, I'm getting to the text now. I'll get there by Christmas. John 1:14, he uses the same word. He said this, and this is our verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said, the word became flesh. I listened to a brilliant man recently. He said the concept of the Word being flesh and the Word becoming flesh is the deepest truth of Christianity. 
The most complex belief and the deepest truth is that the Word became flesh. Now, what does it mean? Why didn't he just say Jesus became flesh? Why did he say the Word? John wrote his biography in Greek, and he used the word logos. Everybody say logos. You're going to learn a little Greek tonight. Okay, logos. It may not be a familiar word in 2023, but in A.D. 70, 80, 90, when John wrote this gospel, the logos was a very familiar word. See, the, word of his, the world of his day was heavily influenced by Greek philosophers. And the Greek philosophers, especially the Stoic philosophers, believed in the concept of logos. And to the Greek philosophers, the Stoics particularly, the logos was two things. It was the ultimate truth, and it was the force that guided the universe and guided men's lives. I like the Logos. I like that Greek philosophers believed this. Not all of them, but the Stoics believed there was indeed ultimate truth. You know, folks, I want to live in the world, in a world where some things are true and some things are false. I don't know about y'all. I think I do. I need there to be ultimate truth in the world. We live in a world where truth is kind of bandied about and people say, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. I don't know about y'all, but when I hear that your truth can be different from my truth and everybody's truth is equally valid no matter what it means, I get a little insecure about that. I need there to be ultimate truth. I need to know that underneath everything, there are some things that are right that I can build my life on. I need to know that there's a foundation beneath the way I'm living that will not fail me or will not collapse with the shifting winds of time and culture. I need to know that there is ultimate truth. And the Greeks said there indeed is ultimate truth, and it's called the logos. The second thing is that they said the logos was ultimately the thing behind meaning and order in the universe. I can't live with the idea that the world is just spinning randomly and that there's no meaning behind it. If that's true, we're like Paul, of all men, most miserable. I can't live with the idea that we are born and we live and we die for 70, 80, 90 years and when we're gone, there is nothing left and there's no meaning to it. I don't want to live in the world where there's no one watching over it and there's no one ordering the events of my life. The Greeks said you don't have to live in a world without ultimate truth because there is the logos guiding your life. You don't have to live without ultimate meaning because there is the logos guiding your life. When John wrote John chapter 1, he took the Stoic philosopher's own words and he said, in essence, congratulations, you got something right and it is true and I know it to be true. There is ultimate truth and there is ultimate reality. There is ultimate meaning and that logos took on human flesh. 
It's not a philosophy because I knew him. It's not merely a way of life because I lived with him. I'm going to tell you something. You ever lived with anybody? Anybody here ever lived with anybody? Anybody here ever been sick of living with somebody? You don't know somebody. I'm stirring up trouble at Christmas. You don't know somebody till you paid the bills with them. You don't know somebody till you've shared a bathroom with them. Amen. You don't know somebody till you've loaded the dishwasher with them. Can I get an amen? You don't know somebody until you've tried to find out where you want to go eat 10,000 times and they don't care until you suggest a place. <laughs> Y'all applaud more for that than for Jesus tonight. I don't know. What's going on. Here's what I'm trying to say. Telling the truth. Preach it, brother. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. John lived with him. I tell you this, Jesus never sinned, but there are times he was hard to deal with. He would say truth that you couldn't understand. He would disappear just when you thought you needed him. You'd need him for something and he'd be gone. And then he'd show up and you'd think he was late. John, who knew everything about him, who had lived with him as his closest companion for three years, could say, I know him. And he is the Logos. The Word became flesh. He would say, Why did the Word, why did Jesus need to become a human? Why did this need to happen? Here's the main thing. Somebody had to break the power of sin. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and Adam and Eve sinned, they opened the door to the devil to come in and mess with us. And the power of sin took control of our lives. People say, I don't believe in the power of sin. Have you ever tried to stop doing something? Work with me. I know it's Christmas Eve, but uh, have you ever had a habit that you tried to break? And you couldn't? Have any of you, y'all look very holy tonight, but have any of you ever been legitimately self-destructive and you couldn't stop? That's the power of sin. Whether you raised your hand or not, that's on you too. You got it with the rest of us. Humanity welcomed sin into our lives by Adam and Eve, and it took a human to drive it out. If a human let sin in the door, a human had to kick sin out. And one human did. And a human had to come down here and straighten this mess all out. Why? Because a human had to pay the price for sin. He had to be one of us to pay the price for us. A human, you know what the Bible says about sin? Sin has wages. The Bible said the wages of sin is death. A human had to die. And how many understand God can't die? He had to become a human for him to be able to die. 
And when he took on humanity, he took on the potential for his own physical body to die. And he had to die to stand in my place and to pay the price for my sin. I don't care what good thing you have in your life right now, somebody paid a price for it. I stood by the graveside of a man named Homer Jenkins today. I was preaching a graveside service, and I went to Homer Jenkins' grave. You say, who is Homer Jenkins? He is the man who pastored this church before I did, and he served here faithfully for 23 years. He and his wife and his children served here and worked here. And I stood by that grave, and I said, thank you, Jesus. I owe a, owe a whole lot to that guy right there. For without his faithfulness, we couldn't enjoy what we did here tonight. Everything good you have, somebody's paid a price for the Word became flesh to pay the price for my sin because I've sinned. I know I look holy up here tonight. I know I just look like I never would have done anything wrong. Nobody laughed at that. Oh, I guess maybe not. Somebody had to pay the price for my sin. When Jesus hung and bled and died on that cross, he paid the price for me. I was reading a story. It kind of broke my heart, but uh, it was beautiful at the same time. A young mother who lost her son, her only son. He was 25 years old, and he had an accident, and he died. And the mother went to the hospital, and she said, uh, she looked at his body, and they said, is he an organ donor? She said, uh, yes, he is an organ donor. She said, I can't let the life in him die. I can't like let, the, she said, the magic or the power in him go away. He's got to live on. So immediately, they took his organs and they gave his organs to people that needed life. What she didn't know was three hours down the road, there was a young man, 14 years old. He'd already had a heart transplant when he was two, and they told his parents he's going to need another one when he's 12, 13, or 14. And he was 14 years old and clinging to life when he got the news that there was a heart available that would match him. His mother said it was a hard thing because I knew my son would have life but I knew that there was death attached to my son's life. And it was so hard because it was a moment of joy for me, and I knew there was a moment of brokenness and tragedy behind that precious gift. They transplanted that 25-year-old heart into that 14-year-old boy, and the surgery went perfectly and beautifully. And that 14-year-old boy had a new lease on life. They found each other. They sent the mom a picture of the 14-year-old boy dancing at the prom. He actually, they sent her a video. And she watched the video and she said, that's my baby dancing. That's my baby dancing. They began to exchange emails and they decided to meet. And they met together, and the mother just threw her arms around that 14-year-old boy and hugged him. They gave mom a stethoscope. Oh, I can't really tell this. They gave mom a stethoscope, and she put that scope up to that little boy's chest. And she said, that's my baby's heart. He's still kicking it. He's still living He's still going. She told that little boy and his family, she said, I wanted to meet you because I wanted to tell you about the life that's living inside of you.
I wanted to tell you about my son. Folks, somebody died for me. I've got so much life and so much joy. I'm not saying I don't have any problems, but I've got so much joy right now as I see you, as I experience this night, as I'm able to be with my family at Christmas and eat too much. I've got so much joy. Somebody paid the price for that. And it was the Lagos, the Word who became flesh paid the price so that I could have life. So many people in our world today, and I'm quitting, so many people struggle with the idea of not being valuable. So many, so many people just feel like they're no good. Anybody in the crowd have ever just felt like, can you just raise your hand, it's okay. Probably a bunch of, just ever felt like you're just not good enough. Anybody, can I just see your hand? Just feel like, I'm just not good enough. I go here, I go there, I'm just not good enough. Let me tell you something about your value. How do you determine the value of something? You ever seen somebody asking for some old jar or something on eBay and they want $10,000 for it? You ever seen that? Anybody been on eBay? You know, the internet where they sell stuff? You ever seen some old thing that looks like a piece of junk for you and it says $10,000, buy it now? Like, no, I couldn't. How many of you know this? The seller doesn't determine the value. The buyer does. The value of it is determined by how much somebody will pay to get it. I want you to understand, you don't determine your value. The buyer did. Say, who was the buyer? The scripture said, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price by Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, here's your value. Here's your value. And that's every one of you. If you think he's not talking to me, I'm talking right at you. Your value to God is the blood of his own son spilled on the ground. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he paid for you. And I'm thankful that the Word became flesh. John says he's full of grace and truth. The truth is there's a price to be paid for sin. The grace is that Jesus paid the price. Will you receive him today? Will you receive him today? You're not a, a notch. We can chalk you up and say, got another one? We've experienced life with Jesus. And we found out that he is who he says he is. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he set us free. He set us free. And we want you to know him too. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Jesus, thank you for this holy moment. We're together in this place and hearing from your Holy Spirit. Lord, I believe you're going around this room by your spirit tonight and you're just touching hearts and lives. You're showing people that religion's not the answer, Jesus is. That the hurt they've experienced from so-called Christianity didn't come from you. Jesus, you're revealing yourself to people in a personal way and I thank you for that tonight. I'm going to ask you something tonight and your head's still bowed. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I promise you that.
if you're here tonight and you just say, Pastor, I'm saying yes to Jesus in my life tonight. I'm saying yes to him. Can I see your hand lifted up high where I can see it? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Raise it up high again so I can see it. God bless y'all. Oh, a bunch of hands going up in this room. Praise God for that. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I want you to pray with me right now. Now, you're not joining the church. That's not what we're doing. You're not jumping on a religious bandwagon either. Did you know that? You're not saying, I'm going to do better. Because you won't. If that's your determination. You're saying, Jesus, I say yes to you as the Lord of my life and as my Savior. And when you invite him in, he will change your life. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. The church is going to help us. Lord Jesus, I receive you as the one who forgives me. I need forgiveness, Lord. And I ask you to forgive my sins. I need a Savior. And I say, Oh, Jesus, save me from myself, from my habits, from my appetites, from things that would destroy me. Save me, Jesus. And right now, at this moment, I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. Right now, I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. Thank you, Jesus. I receive it. From this day forward, I'm all yours. When I stumble and fall, pick me up. My life's in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.